Welcome to Rich in Relationship. Today we're going to talk about toxic parents. And really what we're going to talk about is parenting with a toxic partner. So the other person is your partner and they're toxic and you are parents together. What does that mean? What do you do? How do you handle it? And the first step when you're in this kind of relationship is you need to be able to identify that you're in that situation. So how do you identify that you're in a relationship with a toxic partner? There are a variety of kinds of toxicity, but we could say that in general, one of the things you're gonna be experiencing is gaslighting, denial, and you're gonna feel like you're totally out of touch with your own sense of self. Like the person who you're being is not the person you've always known themselves to be. You know yourself to be. So what does that mean in specific terms? So, uh, in specific terms, kinds of toxic partners, people that you might've married that maybe you didn't realize who they were when you, when you married them, or maybe a self emerged that wasn't there before you married them are gonna be in several different categories. One is gonna be the alcoholic addict. So in this instance, maybe you married them and they weren't a practicing alcoholic and addict, but they emerged as one, or maybe they were just beginning to bloom Another kind of toxic parent might be a, a raging rageaholic, just somebody who is so addicted to anger that that's the only emotion they can really allow themselves to experience. And then the third category is gonna be the narcissist. And so to be clear, you can be a, an alcoholic raging narcissist. You can be all three of these things, or you might just be in one of these pools. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit about what it is to be a narcissist, what it is to be rageful, and what it is to be an addict or alcoholic. Starting with the alcoholic or addict, the, the definition that most professionals go by is keyed on the concept that when this person drinks or uses a substance, that they become someone different. So it's not necessarily about how much they use or how often they use. It's about who they become when they use. Why is that? Because technically the alcoholic or the addict or someone who is becoming an alcoholic or an addict is not necessarily just born that way. It's usually a combination of genetic influence, culture, uh, and upbringing. You know, when a person is blooming into their addiction or alcoholism, What's going on is they have a set of feelings that they wanna manage and they can't make those feelings go away and they can't seem to change them. The only way they can change the way they feel is from something on the outside. And so they turn to alcohol or other substances to change the way they feel. And over time, the first time they do it, it works amazingly well. But over time, their resistance rises um, and their ability to shift their feeling becomes lower through the substance. And so it becomes more and more. And what happens is they might start out being what's called a periodic, where they drink or drug once a season. 
the rest of the time they're kind of wound kind of tight and then for a day or a night or a weekend or a week they go out and they totally binge and completely change or another pattern might be that uh, once a week they get very drunk or high um, just for a few hours and go through a character change and then ultimately uh, as the disease progresses they're going to be using all the time because that's a, it's a alcoholism and drug addiction are progressive diseases and alcoholism and drug addiction are characterized by people creating a belief system about who they are that's not in alignment with their own behavior and so what they will do then is they will convince or do their best to convince everyone around them that everything's okay, that they're fine, that they are not dishonest or uh, out of integrity or any of the other things that tend to come with this addiction or alcoholism. And some of these things that we were talking about before, gaslighting and denial come into play, certainly with alcoholism and drug addiction. And let's talk about, my word today is and, let's talk about what gaslighting and denial are for a second. So denial is when something's going on, but you're saying it isn't. So the trademark of the alcoholic and addict is they don't believe they have a disease. They have a disease that tells them they don't have a disease. And what that means is if you try and tell them, you know, you seem to have a real problem, they're just gonna swat it away. They're gonna be that way until they hit a real bottom in their lives. Now, what it means that they're going to do to you is they're going to fight back anything that you say with gaslighting. And that is to convince you that they're not the problem, you are. That's to convince you that, that there's a way things should be and that your beliefs are totally out of sync. They're going to take things that you've done in the past and twist them, take them out of context and try and convince you why you have the problem and not them um, and how you're deluded, depressed, um, whatever, whatever you accuse them of, they're going to flip it on you. That's usually the trademark of gaslighting. This is also going to be true with the rageaholic. The rageaholic is someone who really gets a buzz off of being angry all the time. They're in constant crisis. And what that looks like is as soon as they put out one fire, they're waiting for the next fire to happen. And the reason why is they get off on the adrenaline. They get off on being a problem solver. And the problem with being a committed problem solver is that you're always looking for the next problem to happen. And in fact, as you're putting out fires and solving, solving problems, you're actually creating new ones by neglecting aspects of your life and other people's lives. The outcome is that you're high on the adrenaline, you're putting out those fires and you're on a mission and you're angry and you're yelling at people all the time and you're abusive and you're, and you're convincing them that they're the problem. Why? Because you're the good guy. The good guy is fixing things. The good guy is taking care of things and you're part of the problem because you're not fixing it. Or even worse, maybe they say you're the cause of the problem. Maybe they say they're putting out the fires you're creating even though their negligence or possible unconscious ways of feeding those problems 
are what's going on. So if you're experiencing a lot of being yelled at and a lot of abuse, you're probably in a relationship with someone who's rageful. And once again, the tools are denial and gaslighting. They're in denial that they are causing the problem because they are the great saviors. And they're gaslighting you to make sure that you believe that you're the problem. And when we're under that kind of abuse, when people are coming at us all the time, we naturally tend to cocoon up and we might even believe them because what happens when we agree with them is they reward us. When we agree with them, they tell us how great we are. When we agree with them and tell them, oh, thank you so much for taking care of that, when we worship them basically, then we get rewarded. And if we disagree with them, they beat on us. And so our natural instinct is gonna be what? Are we gonna to move towards the beating or move towards the reward? We're gonna to move towards the reward almost every time. All right, the third area is dealing with a narcissist. And so narcissists by definition are people who think only of themselves. Now, my belief about narcissism is that we are all narcissists all the time and that some people are just more enlightened narcissists. So what do I mean by that? Um, an enlightened narcissist realizes that they can't truly be happy unless the people around them are happy. So an enlightened narcissist is unlikely to go to the rage path because they see that as destructive and the people around them are unhappy. They're going to look for a win-win. This enlightened narcissism looks for a win-win. The kind of narcissist we're talking about, though, what might be diagnosed as a narcissist by a therapist, or I like to talk about the scale of narcissism. If 10 is diagnosable and one is Mother Teresa, my favorite person, then maybe the person you're dealing with is an eight. They're not diagnosable, but they've got serious narcissistic tendencies. Those people are gonna be more operating from a place of manipulation. They want to win. Sometimes winning for them means putting you down, but most of the time they just need to win in relationship to you. And again, their tools are gonna to be denial and gaslighting. So when you tell them that their behavior is not good for your child, they're gonna deny it completely. They're gonna say, no, 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 no. I've read all the books. And I'm telling you that Johnny really needs someone to, to yell at him so that he can learn that there are negatives and positives and he's gonna, he or she will have a whole rationale for the reason why they're doing it. And again, they're gonna gaslight you. Your instincts are wrong, everything's fine. Uh, and if you persist, they, it might, they might up level to anger depending on where they are within themselves. You know, if they tend towards anger, they're going to up level to, ang uh, to verbal abuse, or they might become super manipulative and find other ways to twist the situation so that they appear right and you are wrong. So those are three basic forms of toxicity. And what makes them toxic? What makes them toxic is that they are uplifting themselves at the expense of you and at the expense of your children. Let's talk about what the expense is to you. We've touched on it a little bit. Part of the expense is you start to lose your sense of self. If every time we move towards what we're being rewarded for, which is agreeing with 
their interpretation of the universe, which is out of sync with our own values and beliefs. If we choose to set aside our own values and beliefs and buy into their view of the universe, which they're brainwashing us into through their gaslighting, we start to lose our own sense of self. And so not only do we lose our sense of self, we get out of integrity that we're unhappy. We don't really understand why. And every time we go to them and we say, that doesn't seem right, we're unhappy. They gaslight us into understanding why we should see it their way. And rather than get manipulated, verbally abused, or have them be out of completely out of control in the case of the alcoholic or the addict, we'll go along with them. And we start looking for ways in all three instances the natural instinct is to look for ways to manage their behavior. So we lose touch with ourselves and we become very committed to managing their behavior, not because we're super manipulative, but because little Johnny and Jeannie are suffering at the hands of these people in some way. We're suffering, they're suffering. And so in order to protect them, we start to manage the, the toxic personality we manage the narcissist by telling them how great they are. We manage the angry person by agreeing with them and supporting them so that their anger is directed outside the family and not within as much as possible. We manage the alcoholic and the addict by giving them what they want in a way that separates them from little Johnny and Jeannie to the best of our ability. We figure, well, that's just something they need to do to blow off steam. So the, those are three examples of how we set ourselves aside and manage them. And basically we do it for the protection of ourselves, but also for Johnny and Jeannie. What's the damage to Johnny and Jeannie? Well, if we're very confrontational with the toxic personality, then Johnny and Jeannie bear the brunt of a lot of those expo explosions. So that's again, why we tend to be more, become more accommodating. But the real damage to Johnny and Jeannie is seeing us move off our center and our value system and everything that's important to us and accommodating ourselves to a, another personality. The lesson we give them is it's not important to be who you are. The lesson is it's important to accommodate. And in the case of the narcissist, uh, they're going to groom one of those children to be like them. So we seed, we, the raising of the children to the narcissist in this case, the narcissist picks Johnny and says, Johnny, I'm going to make you just like me. And Jeannie, you are my scapegoat. Just like you are the scapegoat, the recipient of the, of the toxic parent, you're the scapegoat. You're always wrong. They're always right. One of the, the kids take on the same roles that you're playing as parents with each other. And needless to say, this can really twist the insides of a child. And it's very painful. It's very painful to witness. It's very painful to watch. I've worked with a number of people who are in this situation. I worked with a woman who I'm gonna call Suzette, who had a child named Sam and a husband named Saul. And Saul was completely abusing them both. Suzette came from a family where it was natural to be treated badly. She had abusive parents who had the same kind of dynamic going on. One day she had an aha light bulb moment and realized that she looked at little Sam and realized that Saul was scaring the crap out of him 
And as a parent, something just shifted in her. And she said, I can't allow this to go on anymore. Like it was like watching her child be triggered. Actually, if you go to my website, there's a video about it on the homepage. He, he, Saul threw something at her and almost hit Sam. And that was when she realized something really dangerous was happening. And she moved out and got a job and called me and worked with me on what we're gonna talk about next, which is how do you separate yourself emotionally from the toxic parent? Because even though she was living in a separate household, she was still interacting with him the same way as when they were living together. So the next piece is how do you separate yourself from that toxic parent? So what Suzette did was she called me uh, and got some help. And the reason is that it's kind of like being in a box and all the instructions on how to get on the, out of the box or on the outside. You have yourself emotionally locked into this pattern of accommodating this person. And even though you're not living together, you want to make sure that Saul doesn't explode around Samuel. And the other reason she called me was she wanted to develop strategies for helping Samuel. All right, so let's address... the recovery of self. Without going into massive details, recovery of self is slightly different if you're dealing with an alcoholic or an addict, or if you're dealing with a rageaholic, or if you're dealing with a narcissist. But the basic formula is to first form an understanding of why the other person is so incredibly abusive. So Suzette and I worked on creating an image of who was Saul. How did Saul become the way he was? Who were his parents? What were the lessons Saul learned as a child at their feet? What drove Saul? What was his real need? And in Saul's case, he was more narcissistic than raging or alcoholic. In Saul's case, what drove his need was to be right. He had this overarching need to be right. And he needed to be right about certain things and in certain ways. And so we created this model of who Saul was. And every time we would meet, we'd add to this model based on what Suzette was experiencing. And she started to realize first who he was. And then we, we went back and understood who Suzette was. Who, what were the circumstances she grew up that made her this perfect fit for Saul? And who did she want Sam to be? What were her aspirations for Sam? Because in many ways, her aspirations for Sam reflected who she would need to be and who she wanted to be in her own life. And she got back in touch with values and principles that she had absorbed despite her parents' toxicity and recreated herself, always putting her self-care first, realizing that if she wasn't 100%, she couldn't show up for Sam 100%. And also realizing that if she wasn't 100%, she was gonna be more susceptible to Saul's manipulation. So she created a new image of herself based on her principles and values, an image of who she wanted to be, the kind of relationship she wanted to have with people and what she wanted to transmit to Sam. Next, she took those values and principles and translated them into Resilience tools is probably the best way to put it. And I've done tons of work on resilience. You can go through the podcast and video blog and everything I produce and you'll find all kinds of material on uh, resilience. But fundamentally, resilience is 
a sense of self that you accept and appreciate. It's the understanding of what your strengths are as a human being. It's a sense of what your purpose is. So Suzette first understood herself and appreciated the parts of herself that had the most meaning for her. Then she understood what her strengths were, her principles and values, core values and principles were that really made her who she was. And then she reassessed what her place was at work and in terms of Sam and Saul. And then she applied them through habits or traditions or, or um, things, repetitive actions. So habits are things that we do to reinforce things that we know are good for us. And traditions are things that we create for our family to transmit values and principles to those that we love and care for. She created a series of habits and traditions that taught Sam how to deal with people who sometimes got angry, how to deal with people who needed to be right all the time, how to deal, how to recognize manipulation. She taught Sam how to stay in touch with his core values. She taught Sam what was really important. And she did this without ever pointing the figure at Saul. And so the idea was she taught Sam how to equip himself to deal with someone who's toxic. And in that way, Sam was able to spend time with Saul and he knew when to, to, to stop interacting with Saul because he had lessons on that, but he was never taught, this is what Saul's gonna do. This is how you need to behave. He was taught, this is what you do when somebody does this. This is what you do when somebody does that. And later on in life, I'm sure Sam will make that connection. Right now, Sam is about six. Sam will make that connection between, wow, mom taught me how to deal with dad. I'm so grateful for her. And those were all things that we did working together. Now you can probably do this stuff on your own, but it's gonna be slower, right? And remember, I said the instructions are on the outside of the box. So you kind of got to get a hand out of the box and maybe get a mirror out there so you can read the instructions. You sort of have to decipher your way through it. And there's, it takes time and it takes time. And little Sam might end up being 36 by the time you figure it out. Actually, um, I, can, I can testify that in the case of my own children, I didn't have the same kind of help as Suzette had with raising Sam. And my children saw the better side of their parents dealing with a, a toxic parent I'm talking about much later in life, but they did get the tools that they needed. And part of why I do this work is because I grew up in a toxic environment. I married a toxic parent and I want other people to have the experience of allowing their children to have a relationship with a toxic parent that feels safe to them all. If you need any more information, I want you to feel free to reach out to me at rich at richinrelationship.com or just go to richinrelationship.com. You can find ways to access me there. Follow this podcast, follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever you're seeing this for more information. And get that, here's the last thing. This is what Suzette learned and what you need to get also. It's an ongoing mission. You can't, you don't just separate yourself, find out who you are and 
build some traditions and habits because what happened, what's happening with Sam is he's developing and his children develop, their needs develop. And as their needs develop, the way that we communicate values and principles to them shifts and changes. And also the kinds of problems that they come up against evolve as they develop and grow. And so Suzette is on a constant ongoing mission to equip Sam to deal with Saul and people like Saul. It's ongoing until Sam developmentally gets to be 19, 20, 21, maybe even 24, 25. Suzette's in his corner, coaching him, giving him what he needs. So it's not like you just wave a magic wand. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's ongoing. And so I'm encouraging you to keep your eyes on the prize and get it that other people have done this and you can too. If you were listening to this and you heard that maybe the person on the other side is toxic and you want to deal with that, there is hope.